Welcome to the Mosaic Church Podcast, where we share with you the message of hope and love that lies at the core of the Christian faith. Our weekly sermons delve into the teachings of the Bible and how they can impact our daily lives, inspiring us to journey together towards a deeper understanding of God's infinite love. Join our community of believers as we embrace the power of faith and embark on a transformative spiritual journey. Mosaic Church in Mableton, Georgia exists to lead people to an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ to help them change the world. Now, please enjoy this message from Pastor Broderick Santiago, lead pastor of Mosaic Church. I, I am blessed uh, to to be married to such a great man of God, and so, and that's actually what we're talking about today. We're talking about people of God who had faith, and so Pastor B last Sunday uh, started a new series, Hebrews eleven. Uh, for those of us that are not well versed in Roman numerals uh, on the pictures, uh, that's eleven in Roman numerals, and so he talked about what faith is, and boy, they're having fun downstairs already, huh? I I, I wish y'all would like shout for Jesus the way the kids shout for Jesus downstairs. Um, So he started talking about faith last week and uh, from Hebrews 11 and the first few verses. And I'll share a little bit of that with you uh, for those of you who may have missed last week or didn't watch the Facebook Live, by the way. Good morning, Facebook Live folks. Uh, We are glad that you have joined us today and have been tracking with us uh, each and every Sunday. Um, I even wore earrings because I knew I was going to be on Facebook. And so those of you who know me know I don't usually, my earrings will be in my pocket and they never make it on on Sundays. So I'm so glad that you are with us this morning. Uh, It is a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. Father God, uh, thank you so much for this opportunity to share your message with your people. Uh, Do not take this lightly. Father, thank you. uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So, This is week two of Hebrews 11. We're talking about faith. Last week, Pastor B started with Hebrews 11, uh, verses 1 through 3. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. So he said, faith is not wishful thinking, is what we learned last week. Faith is not wishful thinking. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Um, It's not a feeling It's not just believing that God can, but it's knowing that God will. Uh, And through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. Faith is not just prayer with words, but it's confident belief in action. And so when Pastor B was talking about that last week, he pointed us to the faith hall of fame, if you will, that's found in Hebrews chapter 11, where the writer of Hebrews, who is writing to a group of people who were persecuted Christians, ethnically Jewish, so they had that foundation, that Old Testament foundation, the Jewish background, they were aware of uh, all of these great heroes of faith, uh, but they did not, uh, they, they, they were, they were kind of losing their hope. And so that's what the book of Hebrews was really written for. It was written for that group of people. It was written to reassure them during a time of persecution that Christianity is true, that, they, that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, and that, uh, that their basic starting point with faith is that it is a reality. And so that's why we see with Hebrews 11, 
faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. And through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. And so these people that the writer of Hebrews is talking about are the people that we'll continue talking about this month. But this morning, I want to focus just on Noah. Many of us think we know the story of Noah. You know, that guy, he built a boat, there's a flood, he likes animals and rainbows. Whether you knew about Noah as a child, uh, whether you grew up in church or not, we've all heard some version of the story of Noah and his ark and all the animals and the rainbow in the sky. In children's ministry, we sing a song uh, about it. Uh, there's uh, Veggie Tales episodes about it. Um, we all think we know this guy, Noah. But what I want to point out is that the people in the days of old that the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage his audience with, he goes down the line and he talks about all of these Old Testament heroes who in their moment in, their moment in time didn't know that they were heroes, didn't know that anybody would remember them later. They just lived and walked out their life. And so what I want to talk about today and, and hope that you know about Noah before you leave here today is that he was a man of great faith. But not just a man of great faith, he believed God existed, and he knew him personally. He had a personal relationship with God the Father. He was obedient and thankful. He was patient, righteous, and blameless, but he wasn't perfect. God's not looking for you to be perfect. He's looking for you to make better choices. And Noah was a man of action, Pastor B said last week, faith is not just prayer with words, but confident belief with action. And when we think about that, we think of some of the other ways that Hebrews 11 verse 1 is, uh, is translated in, uh, in other versions of the Bible, other translations of the Bible. So we were reading from the New Living Translation, but in the New International Version, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. Noah was confident, and we'll talk about that. In the King James, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. But I really like the message version. It says, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. Faith makes life worth living. And here is Noah. Noah's a man of faith. And in verse 7, which if you're taking notes today, uh, you can flip your announcements over and, and doodle note today if you want to or just write things down as we go. But if you're taking notes today, starting in verse 7, that's our main verse because that's where the writer of Hebrews introduces us to Noah. Hebrews 11, verse 7, it says, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. So it was by faith. So the question then becomes, well, who is Noah? What is it about Noah that got him inducted into the Hall of Fame 
of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. What is it about him? We think we know because we know about the rainbow and we know about the animals and we know about the ark. But what is it really that we can apply to our lives today, to our own personal faith walk, that we can look to Noah as an example for? So he was a man of faith. The second thing I mentioned is that he believed that God existed. You have to start there. That's your starting point. So if we back up one verse to verse 6, Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Well, if you don't believe that God exists in the first place, then it's really hard to try to take that next step in your faith walk because you're not walking really with him uh, because you don't think he's there. God is not your imaginary friend. And even your imaginary friend you believe is there. So at least your four-year-old does. So it's that kind of faith. So who was Noah? We find Noah in Genesis. Uh, So if we jump to the book of Genesis and start in chapter 5, that's where we see the descendants of Adam. That's where the writer of Genesis tells us, begins the story of Noah. And the story of Noah begins with his birth or being listed uh, in the genealogy of those who came after Adam. And Noah uh, was the son of Lamech. And Lamech in Genesis 5, chapter 29, it says, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis Chapter 5, verse 29, it says, Lamech named his son Noah, for he said, May he bring us relief from our work and the painful labor of farming this ground that the Lord has cursed. So here we are, a few generations after Adam, and we're aware of the, the, the things that happened in the first, uh, first few chapters of Genesis with Adam and Eve. There were some problems. And things, life was a little difficult. Uh, for folks. And so Lamech has a son and he names him Relief and Comfort. Because, you know, back then people named their kids, gave them some kind of meaning that they hoped for their lives. And so here's Relief and Comfort. But Lamech probably had no idea that, that Relief and Comfort would involve a flood. So we don't, we don't know what Lamech was thinking, but we do know that the Bible has a tendency to give us details and leave things out that are not as important so that we focus on the right information, on the information that God really wants us to have. And so today, that's probably the first detail, is this extra message about why Noah got his name the way that he did from Lamech. Because it doesn't say that for anybody else if you read the whole chapter. Um, so Noah was born in Genesis chapter 5, 529. His father gives him a name. And it's Genesis chapter 6 that the story of Noah begins. And the thing that's interesting about the Bible and about this story of Noah is Noah is, is mentioned as a reference throughout the Bible by later generations. That's how he ends up in the Hall of Fame of Faith. He's one of those people that the audience, that the writer of Hebrews knows that they would have been familiar with Noah and would have understood these things by the writer just simply saying, and it was by faith that Noah built a boat and saved his family. That was all the writer had to say because he knew his audience was familiar with, he, uh, with Genesis chapter 6 through 10, which is where the story of the flood uh, finds us, or where we find the story of the flood in Noah. 
In Genesis chapter 6, in verse 8, it says, But Noah found favor with the Lord. But Noah found favor with the Lord in verse 8 in chapter 6. Remember, we just said, it is impossible to please God without faith. So if Noah found favor with the Lord, he's got faith, right? So he is, he, he has faith. And then we keep reading, it says, Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked close in fellowship with God. Well, you can't walk close in fellowship with God if you, one, don't have faith, and two, don't believe he exists. So right there, Noah is walking with God. He is, he is connected to God. He has a relationship with God. Um, but the world we learn in chapter 6 has become corrupt. And the interesting thing is, is it sounds a lot of what I read there as I was preparing for it today sounds a lot like now. Sounds a lot like now. But Noah found favor with the Lord in this environment of corruption and evil. He walked closely with God, and God found favor in him. And so that's why God goes and takes Noah on this journey with him. See, faith is an adventure. Being a follower or a disciple of Jesus is an adventure. It is not uh, something that we can set up and say, we're going to, we expect this to happen, and keep moving. It is something that we have to always be prepared for the unexpected. And so Noah, in his walk with God in faith, he was prepared for the unexpected. It said in, uh, in Hebrews that God warned him about things that had never happened before. So he had no idea what was going to happen next. So what does he do? He chooses relationship with God in a world where people had chosen sin and death instead of a relationship with God. The world was corrupt. And God was sorrowful. He was, he felt bad about, you know, like, wow, I created these people and things aren't going great. He, he wasn't sorry that he made the people. He just wasn't happy with the choices that people were making because life is really about choices. Sometimes we, we, we use this illustration a lot in children's books. We use it in illustrations in movies where someone has a fork in the road and they make a choice one way or the other and we're screaming at the TV or at the movie screen going, no, don't go down that path. That's the wrong path. But this is the world that Noah lived in then. It's the world we live in now. But it was so bad that God was like, I'm going to hit the reset button. We're going to just start this over. Um, so as bad as things are now, I think we're, we're okay. <laughs> so here's Noah in the account of Noah in Genesis chapter 6. It says, Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was trusting God. Noah trusted God. And, and trusting God is a choice. Having faith in God is a choice. Uh, Noah chose to believe that God existed and pursued a relationship with him. And we know that being in relationship with anyone is a choice. And so you, it, and it's not a choice one time. It's a series of choices. Every day you wake up and you choose 
to love God. You choose to love your spouse. You choose to love your friends. And that is what God has called us to do because God loves us so much that even with all of the things that happened in the Old Testament, he had a plan to give us his only son that we would not perish like the people in Noah's time will with the flood, but that we have this opportunity to choose everlasting life. It's a choice. It's a choice. Noah, uh, we learn, he makes pretty good choices as far as God was concerned. And in in chapter 6, we see that Noah is obedient. We see that he is action-oriented with his faith. He's not passive with his faith or his trust in God. And in that, the the way that we see obedience in Noah is that God says in verse 14, and there's quotes there, so we know this is God speaking. Chapter 6, verse 14, God says, build a large boat. And then he goes on to give him details about how he wants the boat built. But all God had to say to Noah was, build a large boat. And, and Noah, what did he do? Well, we jump down to verse 22, and it says, so Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Noah did everything. If you're going to be all in for God and you expect God to be all in for you, we must fully obey God. The things, the the consistent character trait that we see throughout all of the heroes in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Fame there is that they fully obey God. They don't half step. They don't, they don't say, you know what, that doesn't really fit in my schedule this week. I'm not sure. I made brunch plans. That's why we have a nine o'clock service. You can still go to brunch. But obedience, Noah was obedient. It says in uh, verse 22, and then it says it again in chapter 7, Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. He believed God. He believed God existed. He chose to be in a relationship with God, and he did what God told him to do. God said, you know what? Build a large boat. Noah started building a boat. Like he, he, that day he got up and he started building a boat. Now imagine if the world was then as bad as it is now, imagine what his neighbors must have said, his family and friends, the people around him. Listen, if Pastor B starts building a boat in our backyard, yes, I'm going to give him a side eye. Like, um, oh, oh, okay. God really told you to do that. And and y'all know our story. I married a jazz musician. I didn't marry a pastor. I married a professional musician. My daddy's a pastor. But you know, God's story goes generation to generation. So So clearly, God knew how to redirect my path. Amen? Amen? So we must fully obey God. Noah is here in this list of heroes because he was obedient. We must consistently be obedient to God, not just when it's convenient for us. And that's a powerful statement there. It's not about our convenience. It's about being obedient to God. God is the creator of all things. And Noah understood that. I mean, granted, he's only a few generations after Adam. So, you know, he probably has people in his family tree that go, yeah, you know, God did create the world. 
So God said, build a large boat. Noah did everything God commanded him to do. He was a righteous man. He was blameless among the people of his time. He walked faithfully with God. And here's the other thing I want to mention there about obedience. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not just when you feel like it, not just on Sunday, all your heart all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. Loving God is manifested through our devotion in keeping his commandments. When we say that we love God, we are following what God says to do, if that's what we say we are, we, we are a part of. So Noah did everything as God commanded. Did this start playing? I'll try it. I'll keep going. (laughs) That was interesting. Technology. You got to love technology. Um, So, yeah. So, there you go. So, love God with all your heart. And Noah did everything as God commanded him. The other thing about Noah is not just that he was blameless or he made the right choices. And it wasn't just his obedience that set him apart, but it was also his patience. And I want to spend a moment talking to you about patience, because I don't think this is part of the story that we spend a lot of time talking about, how patient Noah was. Now, I'm not going to have you read all of all four chapters of the flood account and Noah, but I want to point out a couple of things. In chapter 6, verse 16, uh, the end of the verse talks, uh, as God is giving Noah instructions about building the boat, God tells him to put a door there. And we said, you know, earlier that God doesn't leave out details or add details just for kicks. Uh, The writers of the Bible were very intentional about what they included and didn't include. And a lot of times they understood what they, what they believed their audience would have understood. And so they, by just saying in verse 7 about Noah that it was by faith that he built a boat to save his family, that's all, they, that's all the writer of Hebrews needed to say. And his audience understood, yeah, yeah, you're right. Noah was faithful. But here I want us to see that Noah was patient. Because when we get to chapter 7, verse 16... It says, a male and female of each kind entered just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. Not Noah closed the door. God closed the door. The King James Version uh, says, and the Lord shut him in. And then I went and I said, well, let me look at this a little bit further. And I looked up what that word was in the Hebrew. And yeah, it means shut the door. So, and I'm not going to butcher Hebrew for you today, so you're not going to get me there. But it, so, but here's the thing. I'm wondering, why does God leave that detail in there about this? So I paused for a moment and I said, well, okay, let's think about the boat. The instructions for the boat, now some of you know I like to watch a lot of documentaries and stuff. So I've watched probably three different documentaries about Noah and the ark and where somebody thinks the ark is because it changed all the names and uh, the places and all this stuff. But every single one of those documentaries, they always make this, this assertion that it was an odd type of boat. They make that assertion. Well, here's the thing. 
God didn't tell Noah to build a boat to navigate, to circumnavigate the globe. That boat wasn't built for navigation. It was built for survival. That boat was there to save a remnant of the population that was blameless and righteous in the sight of God, that walked with God, that God, God, they were friends of God. So here's God's, God's people, and God's like, you know what? Build a boat. I don't care if it goes anywhere, but make sure it saves y'all. So Noah got up and started building a boat according to God's instructions. And God told him to put the animals in it. But, and we'll talk about that in a second. But here's the thing. This boat or this ark was designed for survival. It was not designed for navigation. He didn't end up someplace way different than where he probably started. He probably just, the waters came up. And what was also interesting, and because we have the, 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 you know, years in, in our 21st century world now, we have the visual of, of special effects. If you, any of you saw the movie that they did on Noah a few years ago, the special effects were great. It was, was it biblically accurate? Eh, not so much. But the special effects were really good. The thing that it says in the Bible, and because we, we live in a world with special effects, we can visualize this. Poor Noah, he was sight unseen going, I'm building a boat because God said build a boat. I have no idea how this is going to play out. That's his faith. But here's the thing. The, the, the word of God says that the water came up from the ground and it rained. It didn't just rain. So imagine he's in this boat that he's building on dry land because if we look at Let's see, which version of it was it? One of the versions that I had there. Okay, I'll find it later. But in one of the translations for the uh, flood story, it says that Noah built a boat on dry land. So here he is in the middle of his backyard building a boat, no water in sight. Water came up. Water came down. He probably stayed in the exact same spot. If you can visualize that. Okay, so, so it's built, the boat was built for survival, not for navigation. The detail about the door and the detail that God shut the door. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt like Noah? That where God shut the door and you're simply, you just simply have to be patient. You have to have faith until God tells you it's safe to come out. Does he have you protected in an ark right now in your life? Are you in an ark right now in your life with stinky animals and, and probably family drama? Uh, if you've ever, remember all the time, the time when it snows here in Atlanta, and everything shuts down, and you stuck with whoever's in your house? They might have been visiting. They might have been there. Oh, and we, because you know, it's, it stuff shuts down, and you got that one person in the house that's antsy. See, I'm a homebody, so I was cool. It's like, this did not change what I was going to do for the next three days anyway, as long as there's food. As long as the cable on, we cool internet, we're cool. But he's in there with his sons, daughters-in-laws, and a whole bunch of animals. 
And you know how long he's in there for? Let's keep reading. Let's jump to chapter 8, verse 13. It says, Noah was now 601 years old. Now, if you jump back, if you're looking at a paper Bible, it might be easier to jump back to a page or two uh, before. But when we all started this, Noah was 600. It, the Bible points out Noah was 600. Now he's 601 years old on the first day of the new year, 10 and a half months after the flood began. And then verse 14, it says two more months went by. And Noah looked out and the earth was dry. But God didn't say to Noah yet that he could get out. The next verse says, then God said to Noah, leave the boat. So here's Noah in the ark patiently that he built on faith obediently. And he stuck there for over a year. You have to have faith sometimes because God closes doors and now you have to wait. But you know what God does? He takes responsibility for what's going on in that storm and whatever, that flood that's happening outside. God is taking care of all of that while you're in there. And even if you can see what's going on, as I'm sure Noah could, he still had faith that God was going to come through. Now, another detail on, on patience to show us just, you know, that that was patience enough. But let me show you how more patient uh, Noah was in this situation. Noah was basically the project manager and the builder. If you ever run my HGTV people out here, he's the project manager and he's the builder. God said two by two on the animals and then some of the animals, he needed seven of them. Hey, he did not worry about where the animals were coming from. The Bible doesn't tell us that Noah was concerned about where the animals were going to come from. They just started showing up. That's what's there in the word. If you read it for yourself, that's what's there. The animals just started showing up. But are we, in our effort to be patient, are we worrying about the details that are not part of our assignment? Are you neglecting areas that you actually have control over? The areas like your attitude about the situation, relationships, responsibilities. Noah was told, build an ark. He built an ark. God took care of the rest. A year's a long time to be in that boat. So if we keep reading in chapter 8, we learn that Noah is also thankful. It was customary in Noah's day to build an altar and make an animal sacrifice to show God that you were thankful. And Noah had faith that God would deliver him and his family safely through the flood. And he was thankful. He gave first. He gave as soon as he got off the boat. He built an altar and he gave thanks to God. So look at Genesis chapter 8 verse 20. They are off the boat now. And it says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. All that because Noah 
had faith. And he was obedient. He made the choice to believe in God. He was thankful. The very, he got off the boat and the first thing he did was build an altar. The first thing he did was give an offering to God. So when the question comes up, well, what's the difference between tithes and offerings? That's the difference. Your tithe is part, is your faith walk, uh, part of your faith walk that you know that God can do more with your 10% than you, uh, than you can do with the 90. But your offering is saying to God, I'm so thankful you brought me through that storm this week. Your offering is saying, I'm so thankful, God, for all the things that you have done that kept me and my family safe this week. Your offering is saying, I'm thankful. I have faith in God, but I, my faith without being thankful doesn't get me very far. And so here's Noah. He's off the boat. He's been there patiently for a year. He builds an altar. He gives offerings. And what is God thinking? It's in quotes in your Bible in verse 21. He says, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. Even though, see, we get stuck in the curse in Genesis and we forget stuff changes. The story kept moving. So in Bible study this week, shameless plug, we will be teaching on covenants because there's like five or six of them. And then and bring that together with Jesus and stuff. And we're going to do that for about three weeks. So be here seven o'clock on Wednesdays so that we can really unpack what this means. Because then God says, as long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. And you know what? God has, is still keeping that promise. The sun came up this morning. The earth is still spinning. We might be having a bad day or a good day, but those things, and we wake up, we just expect them. Why? Because Noah had faith. Noah could have said, told God, no, I got something else to do. Or maybe he, he, maybe he couldn't have, didn't walk with God. He could have done a whole host of different things. God could have moved a different way. God could have just blew up the earth and started over. He didn't have to do a partial do-over and just get rid of all creation. So in Genesis 9, and we'll unpack that more on Wednesday, but for the sake of time here, I just want to point out a couple of things, is that in chapter 9 in Genesis, uh, that's where God confirms the covenant. And he makes the covenant... Uh, with people in the Old Testament, uh, they're kind of like a, like a contract deal. And what's interesting about this covenant is that God promises that despite humanity's continued tendency towards selfishness and evil, he's not going to destroy us again. And that he would never uh, destroy the world uh, like this again. Rather, the earth will become a reliable place where God will work out his purposes to rescue everyone and everything. And we see that in Genesis uh, chapter 9 with the confirmation of the covenant. And, and with the covenant, all the other covenants have something that man, that humans, we're supposed to do as part of our deal with God. This one doesn't. 
two details. One is God makes this covenant with man and all of creation. The animals were included. If you look at verse 10 in, in Genesis 9, it says, And with all the animals that were in the boat with you. There's nothing required of us for this covenant from Noah. God just states his promise and he signs it with a rainbow. And Wednesday, if you come back Wednesday, I'll talk to you a little bit more about the symbolism of the rainbow. But this is the confidence that Noah had. This, because this happened, this is the confidence we have now. Our confidence in faith, the confidence in things that are unseen. We just expect the earth to keep spinning. We expect the sun to rise. We expect the seasons will come and go. We don't have any doubt. None of us have any doubt in our mind that the sun is, is that this is Krypton and the, and the sun is going to come crashing into earth. This is not, we don't, we had, that is the farthest thing from our mind. Why? Because of Noah. And Noah's story is so powerful and it resonates so much with the, the people of God throughout the centuries that he is mentioned, that he is listed in this list of heroes in chapter 11 in Hebrews. But Noah is also mentioned in other places in the Bible, actually several places. But I want to mention a couple real quick before you go, because I think they help us to. (laughs) Thank you, Aunt Jojo. (laughs) They help us to understand how this applies to us, because sometimes we read about these characters in the Bible, and we may as well be reading about Veggie Tales or Peter Pan, and, and we think that, oh, it's a nice story. Noah had the arky arky, and we make up songs about it and the animals. But the thing that I want you to see is, what did the early church think of when they thought of Noah? So if you turn with me in uh, the New Testament to First Peter Chapter 3, some of y'all probably didn't even realize there was a First Peter. Sometimes I forget that there's these other books because we always focus on the gospel. And then we, we, we maybe Acts, maybe Romans, but we rarely ever hear people quote from like First Peter chapter 3. It's like, really? Peter wrote a book. So First Peter chapter 3, and Peter is also writing to the same or a similar group of people, Hebrew Christians, people who were ethnically Jewish, but they were believers in the Messiah. They believed that Jesus had come. And Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. You know, but Noah, it took some time to build that boat. I mean, he didn't have power tools. He just had his sons that were helping him. So you can imagine the time that, 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 that stretch of time that people really had time with that warning. No, what you doing over there? I'm building a boat. Why? God's about to destroy all of you. And that got it went ignored. Only eight people, Peter writes, were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. 
It is effective because of the resurrection of Christ. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. You know, that sounds like when Jesus said, all power is in my hands. When, and, and what did Jesus say after, right before he said that? He told us to go and make disciples. So Peter is wrapping all that up. He's go and make disciples. And when you become a disciple of Christ, when you believe, when you start to have faith, then the next step is what? It's baptism. It's baptism. Noah is mentioned here in reference to baptism. By the way, we offer that every third Sunday. Pastor B mentioned it. It's in your announcements, details. But what does baptism have to do with faith? Well, baptism is a public declaration of your commitment to belief in Jesus Christ's resurrection. And just like the writer in Hebrews who is writing to encourage a persecuted group of people who are being persecuted because of their belief in Jesus Christ, so is Peter. He's writing to encourage this group. And he's saying, listen, we're all in this together. When Jesus prayed for us, For his disciples in John chapter 17, he prayed for what? He prayed for unity. And he said, you will know my disciples because of how they love each other, but also because they abide in the father with me, because they have this vertical relationship with God. And that is what Noah had because Noah had a vertical relationship with God. He walked with God daily. He found favor with the Lord because he had this incredible faith. But it wasn't so incredible that it is not attainable for you and me. And that's what Peter is saying here. You believe your next step is to identify to unity with Christ and going through this physical representation of baptism, of being submerged like Christ was submerged when he was baptized, of being submerged into a, into physical death. But this is, this is a, 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 an example of it. It is a meaningful experience. It is a symbolic action for a Christ follower that powerfully identifies us with Christ's death burial, and resurrection. It is one of the ways that we publicly proclaim our faith in Jesus. Now imagine being a persecuted Christian in the first century church, knowing that when you walked out the doors of the house church you were meeting in, you might die that day for your beliefs. Imagine the kind of faith those folks had to have. But we've got so much structure and so much extraness to what we do as Christians today in the 21st century that we have lost a big part of this this tangible connection to Christ. Some of us walk around and we think we don't need to get baptized. And like Pastor B said, maybe you were sprinkled or your, your grandmother dragged you up to the altar. Or if you didn't make that decision for yourself, there's don't wait. Maybe nobody's going to kill you right out after you get out the door today for what you believe. But there are people in the world today that that is their story. They are persecuted. They don't get to just come to church just because. When we think of the churches uh, in other countries where they have service for hours upon hours upon hours, um, they are there because they are thankful. They are there because they're thankful. So... 
God was doing a, a reset for creation. And he reset creation. And he has kept his promise all this time. Faith in God in Jesus' resurrection begins in your heart. And nobody sees or knows that but God. But our relationship with God, because it's both vertical and horizontal, when Jesus prayed for you and for me for unity, he prayed for us to love one another and to love God the Father. And baptism connects us all together because we are witnesses. In Hebrews 11, it describes the cloud of witnesses. The cloud of witnesses, all the people, the heroes of the Old Testament, the heroes of faith like Noah and Pastor B will share more of heroes later this month. But like Noah that's sitting up there cheering us on, encouraging us, that cloud of witnesses, baptism says, hey, we're here to encourage you. We're witnesses to this. We see you and we want to walk with you. Not just your walk with God by yourself, but we're all walking together. Hebrews uh, 11 verse 6 says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah was confident in his faith. You can be confident in your faith. Noah put his faith into action. You can do that too. Noah was obedient, he was patient, and he was thankful. And the reason that we're talking about Noah today because of his faith and because he was an influencer of generations. Ask yourself today, am I influencing the next generation or am I being influenced by the corruption and the evil in the world outside these doors? Amen? tells us is dead. You can walk around saying your faith all day, but if you don't actually put your faith in action, it is dead. And I realize that sometimes some of the, the biggest leap of faith many of us have to take is accepting Christ into our life. So if, if it's okay with you for just a moment, it may be uncomfortable. Just if everyone in this sanctuary, just close your eyes for just a moment. Close your eyes for just a moment. You know, Pastor E just talked about the importance of faith and that all the stuff that we have today is because of one man's faith. It began with Noah's faith. It began with his faith that, that, that all of humanity was not wiped away. Him and seven others, it was their faith that saved us. And then the ultimate sacrifice was made. 
where God said, you know what? Because I promised him that I wouldn't destroy the earth again, I'm going to send my son down there. I'm going to send my son as the sacrificial lamb. So once I do that, they receive this gift called grace. And some of you may not believe that. Maybe, maybe you heard that and you say, you know what? That makes sense to me today. And, and, and I, I want to accept Jesus into my heart. I've been living outside of faith. If that's you today, you want to accept Christ in your heart. You want to receive salvation today for the first time. Listen, nobody's looking. Just lift your hand in the air. I want to pray for you. You want to receive salvation today for the first time. Perhaps you accepted Christ some time ago. But you know what? Life happened. And you stepped away from God for a while. And you say, you know what? I've not operated in faith. I've operated on what I know best. But today that ends. Even you online. And maybe today you're saying, you know what? I want to operate in faith. I want to rededicate my life to Christ today. If that's you, you want to press the reset button. Lift your hands. Don't miss this opportunity. Lift your hands. Let me pray for you. You want to reset today. You want to rededicate your life today. Even online. If that's you, just lift your hands. Let me pray for you. I see you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Listen, say this prayer with me, even online. Say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for trusting myself more than I've trusted you. I realize I've been apart from you for far too long. But today, that ends. Today, every step that I take, every thought that I have, every decision I make, I'll make it with you. Today, I rededicate my life. God, I believe in my heart. And today, I confess with my mouth that your son is Jesus. And he died on the cross for me. And he rose three days later for me. And we're still anxiously waiting his return. God, you said if I believe that in my heart and I confess that with my mouth, I am saved. I receive salvation today. In Jesus' name. Put your hands together all over this sanctuary for people that made a decision for Christ today. Hallelujah. Really quick. Listen, even online, if you made a decision, let us know. We don't want you to walk this thing out alone. God never intended us to walk out our faith alone. When he created Adam, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. It had nothing to do with marriage. It had everything to do with relationship understand that so you don't have to walk this thing out alone even in this sanctuary if you made a decision let us know you made a decision on the connection card you can find in your seat we want to just be praying for you we want to give you some next steps and we want to make sure that you are covered and answer any questions you may have about the decision you made today amen wasn't that good y'all listen we're not going to keep you much longer there are several ways at mosaic church and churches across the world that we worship God. We worship God through singing songs and praise and worship. We worship God through the teaching of the word. We worship God even through our prayer. But another way that Mosaic Church, we all worship God is through our tithe and offering. Uh, Pastor E made a very, made a very poignant statement. She said that, 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 that he gave as soon as he realized that he had been saved. He sat there for a year watching water rise from the ground and come down and looked at all that was being destroyed. And as soon as he had the opportunity, because his life was spared, he made an altar to God to show his gratitude. And some of us know exactly about those moments where we've seen stuff around us collapse, but 
God showed up on time. And so one of the ways we offer, we show God our offering is through our tithe and offering. We worship him for how good he's been to us. So listen, today you can do that. There are several ways you can do that. Uh, We're going to play a short video about it. We want to make sure that you are well educated about why we give and what it does. And then I will be back uh, to give you some instructions on how you can give. And our ushers will be in place to receive your offering today. Just one sec. Watch the video. Give to God by enjoying what he has given me, okay? I mean, do you really think he expects something back? Now, I know there's a lot of people at church that would not understand this line of reasoning. That's why, just to make things simple and not to cause any controversy, I like to carry what I call the little empty envelope, all right? You see, when the plate gets passed, I bloop, put it in there like that. The deacon's counting the money. They only know me as the crazy empty envelope guy, but the people sitting around me, clueless, (laughs) I win, they win, God wins. No one gets hurt because no one knows. God knows. Huh? Let me ask you a question, huh? How's your mutual funds? Hey, for that matter, how's all your funds? Has the fun left your funds, huh? Has your do-re-me taken a W-A-L-K, huh? What if I told you that I knew about an investment you could make that the return would be mind-boggling? And it's promised. It's guaranteed. I know what you're saying. There's no guarantees. This one's guaranteed, okay? Malachi 3.10. So what it says in the Old Testament. It says, test me. Give to God, and he will give you back. It goes like this. I give this. He gives this. I give this. He gives this. I give this. Up right up there. He keeps giving. I can't outgive God. How crazy is that? <laughs> Do I love him? Sure, whatever. I'm just saying, if you give, he gives back. <laughs> I tithe, but just not like in the form of a 10% check, per se. Let me tell you what I mean. When I go to church on a Sunday morning, they're selling donuts. I buy some. Boom, that's a tithe. When my whole Sunday school class wants donuts, and I, out of the goodness of my heart, buy a whole bunch for the Sunday school class, boom, that's another tithe. But it's not about me spending money. It's about the smile on people's faces. That, my friends, is tithe enough for me. Case in point, the church was having date nights where we could take our spouse out for an evening, and they were charging $25 for child care. Boom shakalaka tithe. I'll tell you what the biggest tithe was. When I spent over $100 on our meal, and my wife was grinning ear to ear, that, my friends, a tithe. I, w- I would like to give. I would, okay? But everything right now is just crazy. I mean, just crazy, you know? I mean, not normal crazy, really crazy, you know? And if after I paid my bills and took care of the things that I need and want, then I would, I would consider giving something, but not, now it's crazy. We're, we're, we're going to give later. We've already talked about it. I mean, down the road, we'll be crazy givers, but right now it's just crazy. Thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that Pastor B said something that moves you closer to Jesus. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, we would like to invite you to follow us on social media at Mosaic Mableton and visit us on our website at wearemosaicchurch.org. You can learn more information about our church, ways to support our ministry through financial donations, stay updated on upcoming events, and find resources to support your spiritual journey. We would be delighted to welcome you in person on Sunday mornings to worship and connect with others. Our doors are always open to those seeking a place to grow and explore their faith. Thanks for tuning in and may God bless you on your spiritual journey.